This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. You can also follow the podcast at underscore Pass the Mic, M-I-C. My co-host is here as well, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, just a little brief reflection. I think the older you get, the more used to being wrong you have to be. And, oh, uh, man. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That's heavy, bro. Nah, you got to expound on that. What, what, made you, what made you say all that? Nah, oh, let's let's my talk gosh. about that. Hold up. Well, you know, a, a, a lot of it's work. You know, a lot of it's leadership, right? Trying to make decisions that impact other people. And, you know, you're in this role, in this position. Maybe you have this title or whatever. And somehow the perception is because you're in that seat, you have the answers. <laughs> but that is not the case. Um, you know, certainly in a good organization or structure, there's there's reasons why you do have that seat. Um, but, you know, I'm just starting to learn. It, 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 but it's not even just professionally, right? It's as a husband, it's as a father, it's as a friend, it's as a, it's as a Christian. The older I get, the more I realize <laughs> there's one God and I'm not him. And therefore, uh, perfection is beyond me. And I, I think I spent a lot of my energy in my younger days and right up to the recent times um, trying to reach that mark of perfection. And getting older, part of it is realizing you'll never reach that mark, which is sobering, but it's also, I think it drives us to the cross and the need for grace and mercy. Man, look at you coming with the the insights. Oh the man, <laughs> man, that's a good word. See, he didn't even tell me he was going to get that's, into that. That's just before. the intro. <laughs> you didn't tell me. You just hit me with that. You didn't even say hello. Let me reflect real fast. That's, <laughs> that's a great word, though, and I think that's a great word for those of us, especially with what we talk about in the current climate within the American culture and society. Just mm. approaching things from a, from a a standpoint of humility and reflecting the fruit of the spirit, man, that's such a good word. I think we need to get into more of that a little bit later. Um, well, before we, will, we continue, what'd you say? We will certainly talk about some, some, some lack of perfection in this episode. <laughs> that's so true. Listen, guys, we thank you so much for uh, just the support that we receive from you all. We always want to mention it. Um, just everyone who has shouted us out, um, everyone who's given us an iTunes review. We do obviously want you guys to to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like, rate, review the podcast, share it with your friends. Um, just a couple of shout outs for some people who we just want to recognize who have reached out to us. And there's so many that we can't go through each exact one. But um, Art Denny, who consistently comments on um, the RAN Network website, um, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and always giving us some words of encouragement. We really appreciate that. Um, also want to shout out some iTunes reviewers. Um, Hub one uh, just said, I absolutely love this podcast. It challenges me and causes me to love Jesus more deeply. 
and repent of deeply rooted sin while engaging in big conversations. I recommend everyone listen and learn from Tyler and Jamar. Thank you so much. Uh, but I'll delete Tyler and just put everyone learn from Jamar. Uh, um, you're right. I think that would work <laughs> as we just heard. Uh, also, Mupper Babies, um, which is a very interesting. What is region. it? Mupper? <laughs> All right. Yes. Mupper Babies. I thought it was Mupper. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he or she meant Muppet. But shout out to you for your creative username. Let us know what that means, by the way. Um, <laughs> they say... PTM has been a valuable Christian voice on topics such as race and injustice, gracious, truth-filled, honest, and not afraid of tackling the hardest topics. Well, that's what we aim to do. Thank you so much for your review. And we have to shout out um, our brother, um, a fellow podcaster, the Sankofa Experience, Pastor Robert Galinas. Yes, sir. Um, Man, he's been such a big supporter from day one, but he gave us some massive love about our Black Panther comic book episode. And uh, you guys go. The one man, I missed. Okay. I'll rub it yes, in. The one, the one, <laughs> you know, I said that on purpose. Tomorrow. I was like, we have to talk about this. Um, but not, he, he does a really great job of connecting, you know, black Christian calling and um, whether you're a person of color and you can identify or not, I think it would give you a valuable outlook into just some of the biblical and theological themes that we see throughout culture and life. And uh, so so shout out to him at Sankofa Experience on Twitter. Go follow him and uh, see what he's doing over there. We really, really appreciate all the support. Absolutely. Keep it coming and let us know what you want us to talk about. This is great. So thank you for the okay, feedback. Okay, so, so speaking of, of just feedback and pushback and things of that nature, um, there was an article recently that came out from one of the foremost writers about justice um, from an economic, ethnic, and racial perspective, and that's Ta-Nehisi Coates, who writes for The Atlantic and just recently authored the book that was actually a book of the year for many people, uh, Between the World and Me. Which I just finished. Yeah. yeah. How, what did you think of Between the World wow, and Me? Wow, man. So many thoughts. Um, you know what? Thabiti Anyabwile, as always, sort of took the words right out of my mouth. He and Ta-Nehisi Coates actually did a video short segment together. I don't know if you saw it, but um, yeah. Anya Wheeler had written in, I think it was The Atlantic, um, a piece responding to Between the World and Me, and it was about hope. It was basically about um, how Coates had given this book-length treatment of his experience as an African-American in the book is talking to his son. And, and, and Anya Buile was like, brother, what's missing is, is hope, any note of hope. And so he talks about sort of the, the Christian reason for hope, not only eschatological in times, but even in the here and now. And I had the same impression. Um, I think we've talked about this before. Really insightful diagnosis of our social situation, especially as it concerns race and black males. Um, but it was depressing. It was just depressing. And I think of, obviously that's part of, of the effect of it. I think that's why it's important. We need to feel the weight of the situation. There's a lot that's not happy. There's a lot that's not just, you know, skipping and rainbows about the racial situation in the United States. But for believers, there's always hope, hope now that because of the cross, we can live lives that aren't shackled to our social situation and also hope in the future that one day every wrong will be made right. Mm. Yeah, so, um, and and we love uh, Pastor uh, Thabiti. We've had him on the show many times, a big fan, big supporter, um, and we're big fans of him as well and what he does over at the front porch. Um, and as, as far as it goes with Between the World and Me, I think I think he was right in the appeal to hope, but I never went in expecting 
coach to turn up to hope at the end. I never expected <laughs> that. You know, I just I never expected that that turn that I think we are expecting. I think number one, because sometimes it's good to lament and it's good to kind of sit in the midst of that and not have maybe solutions, not have um, okay, well everything's gonna get better though, you know, which I think he bristles against a lot. Coach bristles against this idea that things will magically get better or things are just going to get better by osmosis because we're so good and we have good intentions and the human spirit and et cetera. Um, but, but he's I writing, think, he's writing to his son. I'm just well, like, <laughs> I mean, well, but see, here's, okay. We're going to get into this. Like, so here's the thing. I think, yes, he is writing to his son, but his son isn't, you know, I, I believe, I don't know how old, uh, I think his son is, his name is Amari. I don't know how old he is. I think he's, uh, 14, 15, somewhere around that. Um, I, I think he's trying to give his son a heavy dose of reality. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is like the actual version, full version of his letter to his son. I think this is this is what your father went through. This is what you can reasonably expect to go through as an American. Mm-hmm. And I must prepare you for that. Almost this sobering realization that he has a responsibility to protect his son but that he cannot protect his son. Yep. And I yep. think that is a devastating reality. And I think if not for that realism and not for, we want to tear away from cynicism and pessimism, but if not for that realism, then I don't think we can approach the issue. Now, full disclosure, I wrote something about hope too. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, when I was talking about that, the, the art of the book, I, I talked about hope as well. So I, that was missing, but I think, I I never expected Coates to have the same viewpoint as Dr. King or some of the other people because he's coming from a different framework, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and 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 they they talk about this on the video between Anyabuile and Coates that it's really not a choice between hope and hopelessness or hope and despair. It's really a question of what you're putting your hope in. So so it may not be as Absolutely. accurate. And I recommend that video. Y'all, yeah. y'all definitely go watch that video. It's YouTube. I, I can't remember the title, but just just you know, Google Tanahasi Coats and Thabidiana Wile. Hope it'll come up. Um and 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 I think what it is, it's not probably accurate to say that there's no hope in the book, but what does Coates place his hope in? And if you're not placing your hope in God, then it's it's going to fail you, whatever it is, whether it's a person, an ideology, money, whatever it might be. And so he centers what I thought, I don't have the book in front of me, but just remembering my impressions, he centers his hope really on this sort of never-ending personal quest of curiosity, because he makes a big deal about the importance yes. of the question and yes. how how writing is really about the question for him and about living is really about the questions for him. The questions may not always have answers or satisfactory answers, but you're on this everlasting quest for really enlightenment, I guess, if you get down to it. So he centers his hope there and basically in sort of himself, because he he talks about wanting to get up every day and and living a life that doesn't make the world worse, <laughs> living a life that somehow makes the world better. And so I think he does have hope, but it is a sort of a, a, a hope placed in subordinate and secondary things, which will always lead to despair. And that's where my heart breaks for the brother. Well, I think, and, and then we have to define what hope means, right? True. Um, so when we say hope, do we, are we talking about this triumphalist nature that everything's going to be all right? 
just because I said everything's going to be all right? Or are we talking about hope that if we continue that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, you know, right? right. That, that there will be some ultimate justice, that we're not striving for futility, and we're not nihilist, right? right? And I think, and I think Coates, I don't know, man, I think he's grasping for something. I think there is a tension, and I think people have rightfully seen it as an opportunity to poke that bear, to ask certain questions that would lead him to faith in Christ. Uh, I believe that's what Pastor Thabiti was thinking, and many others have thought as well. And I think that's incredibly worthwhile. Though I think we must keep our definitions of hope, um, and I'm not talking about Pastor Thabiti, I'm talking about really all of us. When we say that hope, we must keep in mind that hope is a person, it's found in Christ. Mm, and so good. when people say hope, I, I don't know if you can if you don't have Christ. And so the expectation right. with which we approach a book that is non-Christ-centered and you know, Coates has been very open about the fact that he's an agnostic or an atheist, whichever one you would choose. Um, I, I think that it's a reasonable not to expect that from the book. I think personally, the most visceral idea is what Baldwin said once, right? He said, you guys are, are asking me to believe and hope in things or, or to assume the good intentions of you or an establishment or a status quo when I have all the evidence that points to the contrary. Yep, yep, so all yep. the evidence points to me saying you are against me, but you want me to believe you are for me. And I think that is the type of hope that ta would completely bristle against. Right. And I think we should as well, if I'm going to take something positive in his approach to hope. Yeah. I mean, it, it, his book is at the very least realism. Now I think, I think we can have a conversation about maybe it, it, it bends toward pessimism because of the way he conceives of hope. But like I said, his diagnosis is pretty much spot on for uh, a black person, particularly a, a male in, in the United States. And from that standpoint, it is sort of, uh, you know, straight up, you know, no chaser for his son. This is what you can expect. Um, and so, and I think you're right too. Like we, why would we expect a non-Christian to write a book with, you know, some sort of Christian hope that's not going to be present there. I think for me, it just was, it w it stood out very, very strongly because I have to hold on to that hope so tightly as a believer and particularly as a person of color in the United States that when it wasn't present, it, it, it was, I felt it like a burden as I was reading the book. And so I came away reading right. it. Now you know, it, it was just like, whoa, this is, this is all gloom and why get out of the house in the morning, you know, type of thing. Right. Not, not absolutely. And we as believers are called to have hope, right? right? We're called to also give an answer to every man of the hope which lies within us. Right. So I think that is something that is very important for us to hold and to continue. And so I recognize the sort of disequilibrium that says well, my entire worldview is built upon the hope of the resurrection, there is an empty tomb, Christ is coming back, and he'll judge and make all things right. But there, there is also the sense that we don't want that to become escapism. So yes. there is, I think, that tension there. So yeah. I, we weren't even supposed to talk about this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's good, it's good. And, and, and he actually wrote an article that you did want to talk about. Yes, it's called On Homecomings that was released on The Atlantic. And this thing crushed me, man. And so <laughs> we're talking about hope. I think I was just I was hurt by this article for a number of reasons that I'll get into. 
Um, but the subtitle of the article is everyone wants some place to retreat, to collapse, to be at home, yeah. but you can't always go home again. Um, so it basically talks about how he grew up in a specific neighborhood in Brooklyn or actually moved to a specific neighborhood in Brooklyn um, when he was an adult um, with at the time was either his fiance or girlfriend and their son. And so when they were struggling there, but they had a lot of cultural experiences there. They were, it was, a, it was a, a very formative time for them. And so then when they leave the neighborhood, they always had this idea of going back. So he says he did not expect for Between the World and Me to blow up, mm-hmm. right? He says, writers don't prepare for people to read them so much as they prepare for no one to read them. <laughs> Anonymity, not celebrity, is the usual result of slogging through a book no matter how great it is. When celebrity came to me, and I must now admit that it has, a world was thrust upon me, one that I had in so many ways spent my life angled against. So the book blows up, he gets all this attention, and he goes into some of that. But when he gets this money, when he gets the royalty checks, the first thing that he wanted to do was move his family back into that neighborhood Mm. in Brooklyn, New York. Mm. Um, And tragically, he says in the article, and I quote, last week, the New York Post and several other publications reported on the purchase. They ran pictures of the house. They named my wife. They photoshopped me in the kitchen. They talked to the seller's broker. The seller's broker told them when we'd be moving in. The seller's broker speculated on our plans for renovation. They rummaged through my kid's Instagram account. They published my home address. Whoa. Uh, He says later on, it is true what they say about celebrity. People suddenly don't quite see you. You walk into a room and you're not a person so much as as a symbol of whatever someone needs you to be. But the world is real and you can't really be a black writer in this country, take certain positions and not think about your personal safety. That's just the history. Um, Okay. So (laughs) it's crazy, right? And on his scale, I have absolutely no idea. And there was there were even some closed door conversations with certain people within the African American community that kind of pushed back and bristled against his notion of, oh well, well now you're 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 complaining about having a best selling book, right? Um, and so there's there I do want to mention that there has been that pushback, but I didn't read that as much as he even says you shouldn't complain about having a best selling book, but I read it as well, now that I've, I've spoken about these things and come out in favor of certain things and against others, I can't be a person anymore. Mm. And people don't recognize my humanity and my dignity so much as they recognize my positions. Mm. And all I want is to live in this neighborhood. And that in and of itself, you know, hurt me for the brother, but also made me think about as a Christian and as a believer, especially on this podcast, how do we respond to pushback and feedback and things that we go through when there's there's almost this fear of retribution for speaking out on certain issues, right? So, so you're saying that it, it, well, one of the things he said, you, you can't take these certain positions and and not think about your safety. You know, I mm-hmm. I feel that not in the physical sense of I'm being physically right. threatened, but uh, I mean. Y- folks who are in this work of racial reconciliation, particularly people of color, constantly the refrain I hear most often is, I'm tired. And 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 where that right. comes from, at least for me, is all the attacks, all the attacks that, that you face because uh, you're bringing up, as, uh, uh, as someone has said, you're basically bringing up something that broader America, particularly those in the majority, don't want to deal with. 
either they're denying it outright, like it's a false narrative of, of oppression, or they know it's true, but they don't want to turn around and face it. And so the way folks react to that is to call you names, is to question your faith, is to question, you know, your 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 citizenship. All of that comes with the deal of working of talking about race in the United States. And and I think there is a real sense in which you can talk about not feeling safe and certainly not feeling like a place like you have a place of refuge, uh, a place to call home where you can step out of all that. Right. Now, I think what we should we should clarify is we're not talking about a place where opinions don't receive pushback. So we're not talking about this this magical place where not we can say whatever space. we want. No, not a, not a, and I don't really know. I think some people mean safe space in the sense of never challenge me, never challenge my opinion, but acquiesce to our thoughts. But I think other people mean safe space in maybe the proper way or the way that I would at least understand, which is can we reasonably speak out about things and not be threatened and and not be emotionally antagonized right. and not be harassed? Is right. that is that possible for us to have a place? And this is, you know, typically on the academy, right? So this is typically in a college campus or et cetera. What I think we're talking about is can we speak on things and not be blacklisted, right? Can we speak on you know, for, for lack of a better term, <laughs> you know, can we can we speak on certain issues and and people still love us despite our disagreements on this issue? And I think it should be important to point out that there are contours to this. So you can be, you know, you can experience retribution for your personal um, stance against pop culture, what pop culture has said or hasn't said about a certain issue. So if you come out against that based on a biblical framework or worldview, whatever it may be, you can receive that retribution and fear for that. Um, there can also be some tribal retribution mm. for not towing the party line when it comes to the yeah, black community. Yeah, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so if you, don't you get it from both sides. Line, yeah, absolutely. So you can receive it on both sides from a conservative standpoint or from a liberal standpoint, if you don't toe the line and agree with everything and acquiesce, you can also fear that retribution. So I think there's many contours to how a Christian responds to the devaluing of someone's dignity and how people who are outside and who aren't Christians respond to that as well. And I think TNC is running into that. You know, He's running into the fact that, okay, I've always spoken about this and I've always received pushback, but now it's magnified to where it's an infringement on any sort of privacy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's scary, Gosh. you know, in many ways. There are th- so many threads to pull. I think we would be remiss uh, in in talking about Coates' book without talking about his take on black bodies. Um, so he Absolutely. uses the black body as a as a motif throughout the entire book, and he basically says, w- when you boil it all down. All the racism, all the marginalization, all the oppression, all the persecution against people of African descent boils down to a threat to their physical bodies, right. their lives, whether that's whether that's the systematic and, and widespread rape, rape of uh, African women who are slaves, whether that is um, uh, mass incarceration or sharecropping or slavery itself, whether that is extrajudicial killings of black people. He, he, he says, when you take America's racist ideology to its conclusions, what it almost always ends up doing is putting black bodies at risk. Even if it's not mortal danger, 
there's some amount of danger. And I think without, I don't know if he touched on that. I don't think he touched on that explicitly in the article that he wrote um, called On Homecomings that we're talking about. But it, it sort of goes back to his point that he was making in his book that for him to speak out about these things puts his body, which is enfleshed in darker skin, at risk. And here's the latest manifestation of that. So, goodness, I didn't want that to be true as I as I read the first couple of chapters of the book. But, you know, at least he's one example where I think you've got to pay close attention to how racism ultimately manifests itself. Yeah, there's a, a section in the book where he talks about how someone threatened his body. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was in front of his son. I believe they were at a play yeah. or something. Uh, it was someplace. I think it was Manhattan. And I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but he said something to him. Yeah. And he, a lady, it, it, they were in a, like a crowd. They were coming off the subway or something. And a lady pushed his son, who at this time was less than 10 years old. And he turns around. He says something to the lady. Um, oh, yeah. She says, I could have you. Uh, and, and I yes. think the, a man or somebody around says, I could have you arrested. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and man, it was crazy because he said he felt he he felt like at any moment my body could be taken. I yes. could lose my body oh my at goodness. any moment in America. That was a punch in the gut, man. And, and so if you think about that, as Christians, we have an even greater understanding of what society would call persecution. Right. We have a greater understanding, knowing that, you know, according to to John 15, that if the world hates us, it, it hated Christ before it hated us, right? That that the hatred towards us is actually a reflection of the world's hatred for the truth, mm, for the gospel, good. for the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and so we reasonably uh, expect for that, right? But I think it's incumbent upon us to hold two things kind of in tension. The first one is that we rejoice, as Christ says, Matthew 5, we rejoice that we are talked about and persecuted and done evil against because when we're doing things right, of course, right. because we're in good company. <laughs> we're in the company of Christ and the company of the prophets and the apostles and the disciples and those who have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses. But we also must recognize that others outside of our faith don't have any rubric for that. And we must come, in my opinion, to the defense of the image of God in them, mm. which is why it's it's hard for me sometimes to hear certain rhetoric, because I'm saying even if they disagree and even if they're wrong and even if they come against us with vitriolic language, crimes of hatred or crimes or or words of hatred must be denounced by Christians. Why? Because we know the truth. And because we know the truth, we defend the image of God, even in the people we disagree with, even in the people who we think may be harmful um, in, in word, not in deed, of course, but in word, because they still have dignity, because they're created in the image of God. And so when I saw that, I was like, man, it would probably be something that maybe conservatives would skip over or Christians would ignore But this is a man saying, I don't have dignity anymore Mm. because I talk about this and I'm a celebrity. And I think it's a great opportunity for someone to say, yes, you do. And we will defend that dignity, even if we disagree with you. Right. Wow. So that's kind of where when I read it, I was like, man, who's going to come to his aid? (laughs) That's a believer in Jesus. 
and understands the gospel yep. and, and knows that he still has dignity. Well, you know, well, shout out real quick to Aaron James, who just uh, wrote an article for RAN called Why I Must Pray for Donald Trump. Who is Aaron James? It's like, <laughs> one of my best friends. So, yeah, shout out. Yeah, to you. man. Yeah, man. Uh, good, good peoples. And he's basically making the same point. And of course, you can insert Hillary Clinton. You can insert Barack Obama. You can insert anyone. He's particularly talking about how, you know, sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's okay for even Christians to make fun of Donald Trump in a way that dehumanizes him and how we don't have that luxury. We don't have that. Uh, we've seen too much of the light. We can't do that. Knowing what we know of the gospel, knowing what we know of who we are, knowing what we know about the image of God in all people, just like you said. And it's so easy with a bombastic person like Donald Trump, and I'm guilty of it myself. Uh, so it's very convicting. So when you brought this article up and you're talking about dehumanizing people, and it could be it doesn't even have to be malicious. I think we dehumanize people in the sense that we sort of make them two-dimensional um, when when we just, you know, put them on a pedestal as celebrities. And so I think about the celebrity Christian culture and so many leaders, so many pastors in particular who are struggling and failing because partially, I mean, obviously they have their own responsibility in this situation, but partially we, as the people who sort of follow them and, 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 and look up to them, are we dehumanizing them somewhat as we make them into these images of people we want them to be as celebrities? We want these certain things to be true. We hold them to this ridiculously inhuman standard, and, and they fall. And when they fall, you know, we're all devastated and they take a lot of people with them. And so it was just convicting to me. I'm glad you brought it up because it, it, it makes me sort of reflect on my own perceptions and perspectives of people, both whom I admire and the ones I disagree with profoundly. Uh, how are we how are we sort of making them just into these um, paper figures, if you will? Yep. That, yeah. that can't bear the real weight of being a, a full human. Yeah, they're not real anymore, yeah. right? They're because, yeah. oh, they have a platform, and they were on this news station or that news station, so they 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 cease to be real. They cease to be human. So I think those are great thoughts, man. I think it connects into the next story. Well, the one, um, one last point. About. One okay, last, go ahead. I go just ahead. loved his title. It was On Homecomings, and immediately I thought uh, about... Yes, yes. I thought about Hebrews 11, and so um, it, it talks about all of these believers... Uh, who who exhibited faith in a reality that they couldn't see it, it, it so so verse Ooh, 13 says on, all these died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth all right and so this is tying back into that theme of christian hope knowing that there is justice coming there is racial justice coming one one day we will all be gathered around the throne, speaking different languages, wearing different clothes, having different music, different skin colors. That day is coming, but all of our generation may die without ever seeing that realized. Hmm. And yet the, 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 the passage goes on to state, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And my longing and my burden for guys like Coates and so many others, and he's named his article on homecomings. That is a human longing 
it, it is the fingerprint of God on our souls that says you do have a home and this is not it. And so whether we're looking for that home in a, in a neighborhood that we grew up in or in the arms of a lover or in status or wealth or prestige, that's not Who's our home. That? We are we are desiring a better country, and that is a heavenly one. And that preach, Doc. Look, man. no, 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 no more, no more. Boom. Offering, right. send your offering. <laughs> My goodness, man, that's so that's so true, right? That that's a gospel thread, man. To desire home, to desire that that place, the refuge that can only be found in the arms of this man. Look. Yo, I'm a, I'm gonna need to splice this recording. Is going into a sermon. <laughs> there you go, man. But that would, you know, it, it's all there. All of us want that, and and it's a heavenly home. But it it doesn't mean to me that's what it is, right? Like think of think of when you were a school kid, and it got mm-hmm. to be springtime, and you kept looking forward to the last day of school because that meant the start of summer. And you, that was the time, you know, for a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, that's as close to heaven on earth as you can get. Summer break for a lot of kids is, is that. And, and it is having that goal or that destination or that endpoint in mind that gives you the strength and the energy and the motivation to, to truck through those last days, you know? And so in, in that sense, I think as Christians, we have to, and the Bible talks about this all over the place. It always talks about, uh, looking forward to the resurrection, First Corinthians fifteen and and Hebrews eleven, like I just read from, from um, it's always talking about this this hope that we have that's coming, and that one day we will be like him, and not to give mm-hmm. up, and not to fall into despair, because there is an end to it, and there is a brighter day, and there is a heavenly home. So, I just hope. I mean, I hope it. Incur- I got it. I'm preaching to myself because it's Bro, you preaching, you know, and you are preaching. It's end of school year for me. I'm like, man. Man, that's so true. You got to crawl it, across it the is, finish line. Man, that parallel everything. What do you guys think about this? I'd love to hear what our readers kind of think about this. We're going to save our, our other story um, for later, but um, we'll have some some other people on to talk about whether or not America was ever great, just to give you a, a little <laughs> tease, a little hint of that. Yes. But, uh, and what, we can what tie that. We can tie that into to sort of remembering our racial history, too. And yes. particularly, there's been a lot of movement around Confederate emblems, Confederate memorials, and how we remember those. Mm, that's so important. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we'll save that for our next conversation. Unless but... something comes up. Yeah, stuff is right. crazy now. It, it comes up every single week, <laughs> every right? Single there's always week. something new. We got it's... something planned, and then somebody does something crazy. We got to talk <laughs> yeah. about it. The, the humanity, right? The humanity, uh, depravity of man just yeah. comes, comes to display. But um, we thank you guys so much for listening. We want to hear your thoughts. Um, leave us some comments. Give us some thoughts on maybe some things you've heard or that you felt uh, maybe in reading Between the World and Me, interacting with On Homecomings, the article, or anything else as well. We'd love to hear your feedback. We also want you guys, if you feel comfortable and you feel like you want to continue having these conversations and you, you're not in a thousand Facebook groups, but you're in 999 <laughs> and you need to get to that thousand, might I submit to you the Pass the Mic uh, private Facebook group. We have a phenomenal community in there of people from all different uh, spectrums of denomination and uh, ethnicity. And so it's not just Reformed African-Americans. It's a mixture of all types of people just talking and striving towards racial justice, striving towards 
this elusive term of racial reconciliation and doing it uh, with a boots on the ground mentality, um, asking practical questions. Um, it's just a great place for you to kind of exist and be, it's kind of a healthy safe space, right? Not a safe space where right. you're not going to be challenged, but a true safe space where brothers and sisters in Christ can come and sharpen iron together. Um, so you can look up past the mic on Facebook and join that group. Uh, we also want you to follow us on Twitter, as we mentioned before, at underscore past the mic and also the website at Rand Network. Um, we want you to like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash reforms, African Americans. And we just want to shout out Pottery. Bo York recently celebrated a birthday. Boom. Happy birthday, Bo. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you so you. much for all that you do. And we also want to recognize the fact um, that Bo is making great strides in the Satchel app, in the yes, podcast. Yes, blowing up. Uh, he is he is phenomenal, and he is uh, a big deal, as we always say. Just, Jamar's a big deal in the evangelical world. Bo's a big deal in the podcasting world. I'm Tyler's just trying to be a, a big deal at home, and that's it. So I never want to be a big deal like the – I'm kidding. <laughs> but these guys are celebrities, so um, check out Don't the dehumanize. that is coming out. It is phenomenal on iOS um, now, so it's phenomenal. Now, and finally in the 21st century. Yes. Awesome. Man, it's a great app. So shameless plug. Uh, check that out. But again, thank you guys for joining us. We will see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.